Welcome back to episode 12 of Monopoly's Killed My Hometown. I'm your host, Andrew Cameron, and in this podcast, I'm exploring how our decisions to change the competition laws in the 1980s has led to the rise of monopolies and corporate power and the decline of small towns and small businesses. So I'm looking at this through my experiences growing up and then moving back to Amherst, Nova Scotia, where I now run my own business. And I'm trying to search through our Canadian anti-monopoly history to find the solutions we used the last time we fought back and how we managed to succeed and make the gains that we did. Because ultimately I want our small towns, small businesses and people to have more control and agency over their own lives and futures. Because when we are governed by corporations headquartered elsewhere, we can lose control over our communities and ultimately hope. I'm also one of the co-founders of the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, and you can find us online at antimonopoly.ca. In today's episode, I'm going to be looking at Chapter 7 of the Report of the Royal Commission on Price Spreads. So in episode 11, I did a breakdown of this report, the history of it, and a general introduction of this report and why I wanted to look at it. So a quick summary or the TLDR version of this, this report is from 1934, which is really the height of the Great Depression. It's an absolute understatement to say that people weren't doing well at that time. So Parliament struck a special commission to investigate the Canadian economy because the price of bread increased significantly, but the price paid to wheat farmers didn't change. And Parliament wanted to know why. And so they gave this commission a wide mandate of industries and sectors to look at and investigate what's happening in the Canadian economy. And looking back, this is why I want our Competition Bureau today to be able to have the powers of market studies to go out and compel information, subpoena information from businesses so we can actually see what's happening and really get in and try to clarify the size of the problem we're dealing with now. And the other reason that this sticks out to me is because I I always remember in 2020, the price of lumber tripled, but I know that retailers weren't making any more profits and woodlot owners weren't getting any more money. And I'd like to know what happened. And I think we deserve to know what happened because that's the exact same problem that the commission investigated, you know, 90 years ago. Second, in this report, the commission focused on the plight of the worker and the producer. They didn't go looking at what was making the economy more efficient or less efficient or how they could maximize consumer welfare. The commission wanted to improve the lives of individual Canadians. And one of the things is that the commission had such a broad mandate and when they started their investigations, more people from different industries and different walks of life submitted complaints and identified new problems. And the commission was concerned they'd have to submit many different reports to Parliament to capture all the issues discovered Then they realized and they concluded that the root of all the problems was corporate concentration of power. And so because of that conclusion, because that's my theory, that corporate power and concentration of corporate power underlies all the problems that we're seeing and we're dealing with now today. And so I'm working through this report to see what they uncovered 90 years ago, in 1934, and how it relates to today from my observations and experiences. I'm jumping around this report really because I want to. And so today I'm going to start with chapter seven, which is titled distribution. And so the commission was tasked with looking into the system of distribution of farm and other natural products, as well as manufactured products. 
The commission was also told specifically to look into the effect of mass buying by department and chain store organizations upon the regular retail trade of the country, as well as upon the businesses of manufacturers and producers. Again, no talk here about efficiency of distribution, lower prices for consumers, or getting two-day delivery for free. I actually forgot this chapter is titled distribution. I was thinking it was just titled like retail sales or something, but the emphasis on distribution was very thought-provoking for me because I always grew up with the image of retail as just sales of goods to people or the markets or the buying and selling, like that very simplistic look of retail. But the commission focused on retailers as being our distribution network throughout the country and economy. And so for me, this was really eye-opening as a way to consider retailers and consider the retail network as a distribution network for farmers, manufacturers, producers, and people. And to think of it as our distribution network. It's not Amazon's. It's not Walmart's. It's not Kent's. It's not Home Depot's distribution network. It's truly our distribution network. Just like our highways, our roads, our water lines, our sewer lines. And for me, once you think of retail in this frame, that it's like any other distribution network, you realize, okay, no, wait, this is why I don't want it to be dominated by one or two or a handful of companies. Once a few companies dominate retail and are able to control the distribution network, they can use it to benefit themselves at the expense of others. Today's example for that is Amazon. Amazon built this amazing delivery network that you can only access by using fulfillment by Amazon, which Amazon's now sort of tied to being on the buy now or in the buy box. If you're not in the buy box, your sales decrease quickly. So you have to use their fulfillment to get access to their delivery network if you're a third-party seller. And they keep increasing fees and increasing fees. So Amazon has dominated the delivery network. We've also seen in the last couple of years that these consolidated and private distribution networks are fragile. We've seen so many supply shortages just from shipping congestion in the ports or even, what was the giant ship, the Evergreen, that got stuck in the Suez Canal and like shut down commerce. They're very fragile. And when they work, they can be extremely good. But when they break, they break hard and cause lots of problems throughout the whole economy. So getting back to this, the commission defines distribution as the sum of the processes by which when produced, commodities are distributed. So they said it includes retailers, but must also include packaging, labeling, containers, advertising, wholesale, selling, service, and guarantees. So in this case, the commission is taking a really broad, holistic look at the entire retail industry. The commission was really tasked with focusing on the impacts and behaviors of mass buyers, and they identified two of them, department stores and chain stores. So in Canada, the biggest department stores are, or were, Eaton's, the Hudson Bay Company, Robert Simpson. I mean, those were the big national ones. There were also local or regional department stores that existed. So in Amherst, we had Dale's Department Store, which closed in 2016. But it was previously known as Margolian's, and they had a, like a sister store in Truro. But this store was initially opened up by the Barker Brothers, and it was known as the Two Barkers. And so I grew up with a family who ran Dale's, and I have lots to talk about this store and other retail stores around. And, you know, I'll get to those when we get to the department store section. Chain stores, they were Zeller's, Kmart, Sobeys, Giant Tiger, Loblaws, Target, Walmart, Canadian Tire, you know, all those ones. In a previous chapter, the commission looked at the impact of mass buying on wage earners. We'll get back to that chapter. But this chapter focuses on the impact of mass buying on producers, competitors, and the public welfare. 
And so before we go a whole lot further in this, I want to share two sentences from the introductory paragraph of this section. And they are, the evidence before us leaves no room for doubt that the growth of the mass buyer has had an adverse effect upon the fortunes of the wholesaler, the small retailer, and in certain cases, the producer. It is important, therefore, to determine, if possible, to what degree the large extended retailing organization of the present operates in the public interest. End quote. Like I said this before, but again, the commission isn't talking about cheap prices, efficiency, or consumer welfare. They're talking about the fortunes of small businesses, small farmers, and manufacturers. Plus, they're talking about the public interest. They're looking at, is the way our distribution network set up working for the public? Not just a handful of big stores, but the public. And so for me, we need to think about economic issues with this frame again. You know, enough with efficiencies. Most of us don't actually gain anything by having a more efficient economy. But we need to all start thinking about and making decisions that value people first. I'm going to get back to the report. The commission found that before the World War, and so we're talking 1934, so by this context I mean World War I, the seeds for World War II are being laid now in Germany, but it hasn't happened yet. So by 1930, the producer-wholesaler-retailer distribution network, which had existed for decades, was replaced by a system where department and chain stores dominated and the wholesaler's importance was lessened. That's the situation we are in now. Wholesale sellers are effectively gone. My grandfather ran a men's workwear wholesale business. And there aren't many businesses like that anymore. I mean, I've talked about going with my mom to see the travelers as they came through town. They were wholesalers. When I was growing up, one of my best friend's dads ran a Panasonic distribution business. I mean, that was great as a kid, you know. He had a giant TV we could go play the TurboGrafx-16 on. He had a Laserdisc player. You know, he had all the toys. But by the time I started to work at Future Shop selling TVs in the mid-2000s, those distributors were all gone. All the buying was centralized by the big electronics chains or by buying groups. So something else that was interesting the commission found was that the development of chain and department stores tracked the consolidation and concentration in the industrial and manufacturing sectors. So basically, like as one industry consolidates, other industries have to consolidate just to compete and be able to hold their own. And again, we see this today. My uncle owned an insurance brokerage, just a small one, family owned. And I remember they sold it probably five years ago, but I remember him talking about how insurance companies, not the brokerage, just the insurance companies merged and then started demanding concessions, especially price concessions and commission concessions from the smaller brokerages. And so the only way a brokerage could survive or even make any more money was merging into a larger chain where they had like a higher volume of dollars of policies so that they could push back when the large insurance companies said, now nah, we're cutting your commission 10%. The commission was seeing this again in 1934. We kind of get into some of these actual stats, which I find boggling, I guess is the way to put it. In 1934, the commission found that 31.1% of the retail trade in Canada was done by department and chain stores. And what I find fascinating is that 31.1% was a high enough percentage to alarm the commission and for them to conclude, quote, large-scale merchandising brought injury and sometimes injustice to the small retailer, end quote. Again, this is me talking about language of reports. Injury, injustice, these have a morality to them that's beyond cheap prices and consumer welfare. And so for me, I saw this 31.1% stat. 
my first reaction was that seems really low for them to get all worked up about, right? I don't know if anybody else had the same reaction as well. And so I thought, okay, I wonder what today's numbers would be like. Before I give you what I've found, I want to play a little kind of quick game. You know, if I set the over-under for the percentage of total sales today by chain and department stores in Canada at 31.1%, would you guess over or under? I was guessing way over. Next question is like, where would I have to set it? What percentage would I have to set it at for you to think it would be under? 40%? Do you think it's under 40? Do you think it's under 50? Under 60? Under 70? Under 80? Where would we have to set it? Find me on Twitter, whatever, let me know what you think. But it's kind of fascinating. So I did some research and I tried to find the exact total sales for department chain stores in Canada for today, but I didn't find it. But here's what I did find. So the Center for the Study of Commercial Activity in the Ted Rogers School of Management at Ryerson University, now known as Toronto Metropolitan University, they produce the CSCA Retail 100 report annually. This report looks at the 100 largest non-automotive retailers in Canada. They have a whole lot of different information about the retailers, but I just want to focus on sales. And so the report I found was published in 2021 and focused on the 2020 data. In 2020, the 100 largest retailers accounted for 66.8% of all non-automotive retail sales. And so out of that, Walmart is only number four and Amazon is only number five. Out of that total 100, I, you know, I, seven provincial liquor commissions are on this list. Not 100% sure what to make of that. So out of all the retail sales in Canada, 100 chains take 67 cents of every retail dollar. That leaves 33 cents for all the non-top 100 retailers out there. And we're thinking that everything's good. The top 100 were 66.8%. So then I said, okay, wait, what would the top 10 be? So the top 10 consists of Weston's, which is Loblaws, Costco, Empire, which is Sobeys, Walmart, Amazon, Metro, Canadian Tire, Home Depot, McKesson Corp, which owns the Rexall, and Lowe's. So I did some calculations. The top 10 retail conglomerates in Canada did 221 billion of the 669 billion in retail sales, or 33% of all retail sales. So the top 10 did half of all the sales the top 100 chains did. So again, the top 10 retail conglomerates did half of all the sales of the top 100. In 1934, the commission was extremely concerned when all the chain and department stores did 31.1% of the sales. And here we are in 2020, in 10 chain stores did 33% of all sales. In the top 100 did 66.8% of all sales. We have a problem. I've made this comment to really to a number of different people. Individuals and communities, we need to support our small and our local businesses. We need to organize shop local campaigns and we need to do everything and anything we can to help them. But in an economy where two thirds of all retail sales go to the top 100 chains, we cannot solve the problem by shopping more locally. There are structural and regulatory issues that has made the playing field too slanted towards largest companies who as the commission from 1934 concluded, bring injury and injustice to small retailers. So if they were doing that in 1934, why would we think these massive chains are now benefiting small retailers and manufacturers? So the commission then gets into really what led to the rise of chain and department stores. And so they noted three key factors that led to this rise. And to me, those parallel what's happened in the last you know 30 or 40 years here. So first, the commission noted that it was the increased urbanization of Canada. More people moved to the cities where chain and department stores tended to be located and dominate retail trade. 
Because, I mean, cities provided a large enough customer base for Eaton's or the Bay or Sobeys or the other chain stores of the day. The commission found that from 1921 to 1931, the population of Canada increased 28%, but the population of urban centers increased 38 So on a relative basis, the urban centers captured much more of the population increase than rural centers. We're seeing this today. I did some quick calculations and found that between 2011 and 2021, the population of Canada increased by 11% and the population of urban centers increased 12%. I'd love to dig more into these stats, but I'm not really sure how to do it. So if there's somebody out there who could, it would be a fascinating question to ask. Could we break down sort of the size of the rural centers and see how many people migrated from smaller villages and smaller hamlets into slightly larger towns? So it's kind of like an urbanization of rural areas. But like I see that around here. Town of Amherst seems to have had the population of 10,000 people for 100 years. We never go above it, but we never seem to drop a whole lot. So if we have people from Amherst moving to the bigger cities, to Halifax, Moncton, Fredericton, Toronto, wherever, why are we staying at the same population? Do we have people coming from Parisboro or Joggins or... Oxford or Spring Hill moving to Amherst. Parsboro, I think, has like 3,000 people. So if 50 people moved from Parsboro to Amherst, that makes a big impact on Parsboro. But in this stat of rural urbanization, it wouldn't show up because they still were staying rural. So I, I'm just kind of curious about that. It would be interesting to see if we could figure out if there is a lot of just people moving to larger centers but staying rurally. Right? And as more people move to the urban centers, it's harder for independent retailers in small locations really to stay in business. And second, the commission found that the recession in 1921 and 1922 caused a lot of failures retail businesses. In fact, the number of failures tripled from 1920 to 1923. My dad said before that, you know, all retail businesses close. It's just a matter of when. I mean, that's the nature of retail. Businesses open and close all the time. But in this recession, 1921-1922, the commission found that department and chain stores were able to withstand the losses and challenges from this time frame because of their financial resources. And so this let them then increase their market share and competitive position, right? As the smaller stores failed, people still needed to buy products, so they came to the big department and chain stores. How does this relate to today? I was going to go back to, you know, the financial crash of 2008, but don't need to go back that far. We just need to go back to 2020 at the onset of COVID. We did a lot to help small retail businesses. You know, in Canada, we did SERP payments, we had grants, we had loans, we did a lot there. But we also made a lot of decisions that benefited the largest stores. We closed non-essential retail stores. But if you were a large chain store who happened to sell groceries, you could stay open and sell all of your products. But a small store who only sold menswear couldn't stay open again. Right? When you stop thinking about it, that's absurd and just doesn't seem fair. And we could have changed it. We could have figured out a way to make that work. And so based on decisions like this, we shouldn't be surprised to see our retail distribution network being dominated by a handful of firms. The third thing the commission identified, and something that I talk about, and I think I talked about in the first episode, is that the improvements in transportation and communication had quote, an important bearing on the buying habits of the public and urban establishments benefited materially therefrom. I mean, this makes sense. Urban centers will always have a more robust and varied retail scene. Their population density will allow for more stores and a greater variety of stores, and especially like specialized stores. Right? I remember as a child going to Halifax on shopping trips, or even luckier, the drive to Bangor, Maine to go shopping. I mean, that's, that's what you did if you really wanted a variety of products and options. And so in the 1930s, I assume the changes in transportation and communication would have been trains and telephones, maybe cars, 
I mean, that would have been easier and cheaper for people in rural areas to get to the larger cities to go shopping. The other part for discussion later on is also there would have been a rise of mail order shopping, right? Like think Eaton's catalog. I mean, in Canada, we got that famous story, the hockey sweater of like the kid in Quebec who orders a hockey, Montreal Canadiens hockey jersey from the Eaton's catalog, but they send him a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey and then he's ostracized, you know, or I mean, Columbia House, 20 CDs for only one cent. Anyways, well, and so the first episode of the podcast, I talked again about how the independent retail scene in Amherst started to decline in the mid to late 90s. And the one story I always heard was the new twin highway made it much easier to get to and from Moncton, New Brunswick, all with the Champlain Mall and Costco. Even today, for me, it takes an hour and a half to maybe an hour and 45 to get from Amherst to Dartmouth Crossing, which is a large shopping area in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. It's got Costco, Ikea, all the big box stores. So we had better highways, easier to get around, but also again in the late 90s, we were starting to get more online shopping options. Online shopping wasn't where it is today, but it was starting to grow. And so to me, the twin highway in the internet matches the exact same claim made by the commission that increased transportation and communication harm rural retail stores. Like I said in the last episode, to me, nothing is really new. It just seems like they are, but at the core... It's the same. The reality is like online shopping is just a new version of mail order. That's all it is. So this was a lot. There was a lot in this episode and this was only the introduction of the chapter. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the anti-competitive practices of department and chain stores or the commission's suggestions of how to address these problems. So we're gonna dive into those over the next couple episodes. So please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and please leave us a rating or review. Come back in a couple weeks for a deep dive into department stores and chain stores. Street is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown.